Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for listening to another episode of Ghostly Talk. Checking us out. We really appreciate it. Uh, wherever you're listening to us from, uh, we're, where are we at, Amber? We're, we're on a handful of platforms now. We're, of course, you can come to our site directly. You can get it right from the tap if you want and listen to our shows here. But there's other places you can listen to our show. Where is that, Amber? Well, it's iTunes. It's Google Play. It's Stitcher. It's Podbean. And then when I look at statistics, there's something that just says third-party apps. So I don't know if, like, something Some else. jerk-offs taking our stuff. Well, probably. yeah, I, which that's okay. Fine. Listen, you know, whatever. But... Yeah, but uh, I okay. So yeah, third, I'll, I'll and available on many third-party apps. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't I, know what that means. <laughs> we should look that up. That's probably something know. you can Google. I, I'm sure I could Google it. Yeah, um, Google quite it. quite a weekend I had. I'm still kind of reeling down from that. I had a good paranormal weekend. You had a great weekend. Let's t- let's hear about your weekend. I got to meet Bob. Lazar. We'll start on a good note and on a shitty note. Go I got ahead. to meet Bob Lazar. Yeah, you and did. George Knapp. And I was supposed to. And Jeremy Corbell. I was supposed to. Well, how how'd that go? Yeah, well, like two days before this was happening, everyone in Michigan found out about it. I don't know why this wasn't a bigger thing within the ufology or paranormal circles. Yeah, I, yeah. This is kind of a weird thing, but for those who don't know, Bob it was Lazar. It was the Free Film Festival. It's that. the Detroit Free Press Film Festival. Yeah, yeah. And they show stuff around Detroit. Um, and one of the films they were showing was Area, well, Bob Lazar, Area 51, and Flying Saucers. If you don't know who Bob Lazar is, uh, you can Google him, but people either believe him or they don't. He had a story saying that he worked on alien craft and came forward as insurance. And uh, that was like 1989. And the guy that covered the story was George Knapp, who was working for a Las Vegas uh, news team at the time. And that's why Area 51 is on the map now. That's why we... And think about that. When someone thinks of aliens... They think Area 51. That's one of the number one things. I have a box set that I remember watching a bunch of times in, in the 90s and the early 2000s. Uh, and it was like the UFO files. It was just something I just bought it like, you know, a department store here in Michigan. And it, it's Bob Lazar, mm. a younger Bob Lazar. And I've watched that a bunch of times. Uh, and I know that's. As of late, Bob Lazar's kind of come back into the light because of the new well, movie and yeah, stuff like so that. So Jeremy Corbell, who likes to make a lot of uh, paranormal-themed movies, he did this one on Bob. And he, Bob's kind of a quiet guy. He doesn't show up at conferences. He's not at UFO things promoting himself. I can himself. see him being timid. He just has that Yeah, I, he's not him. making any money off this. He he. So that's, that's weird. When you have figures like Bob and he's not selling T-shirts – and DVDs and making appearances at places. What was the incentive for coming on the news and saying this? I mean, oh, he's been is put he under telling fire the a, truth? He's been put under fire. Well, a he's, ton he's of done. Times. He's done a lie detector tests, hypnosis, all this stuff. Um, I, yeah. I don't know. So anyway, they were showing the movie at the Detroit. Well, Detroit Institute of Arts. Yeah, yeah. and so that was like two day. I found out like Thursday, and they were, the movie was Saturday. So yeah, yeah. tickets were just ten bucks. So. My friend Marnie drove over from the other side of the state just to come to it for one night. Yeah, Marnie's been on the show before. Yep. And uh, we ended up sticking around after the movie. Well, and there was a Q&A, which is kind of cool, but it was typical Q&A. Like, some nice, good questions, and then some like, oh, God, palm, palm to forehead. Like, can someone shut them up? What are they talking about? So anyway, we stalked them. We waited for them to come out, and then we got our photos. Yeah, that's when I roll up. He's like, "Daddy had to come pick up yeah, the girls." <laughs> me and Marnie are like paparazzi with the. Yeah, with I everybody. pull up and I see Bob Lazar, 
And I'm like, and there's Amber and Marty in orbit around Bob Lazar. I'm like, this don't surprise me at all. And you know, and the best part about this is I was ready to completely make an ass out of both of you. Because I was like, I pull up in a t-shirt, gym shorts, and basically sandals. And it was yeah, like. Yeah, you look scrubby. And I, and I was about ready to run the go, oh my God, you're Bob Lazar. What's up, dude? I don't know. That would have been embarrassing. I would have been like, no, I don't know who he is. He's homeless. <laughs> he stole that car. I'm calling the police. <laughs> and then had the police come arrest you. So I came and got you guys. Yeah, you came and got us. But what's sad, though, is I only have the photo with Bob Lazar. Marty fucked it all up. Well, it's that classic. Yeah, Marty, I know you're listening right now. The, and you <laughs> fucked it all up. It's that classic case of handing your phone to someone who may, may not be familiar with how your phone works. Uh, Marnie is an iPhone user. Hey, I am Marnie, an Android. You fucked it all up. Oh, my up. God. Stop Congratulations, harassing. Marnie. Stop harassing her. How's it feel? So um, I was. I looked through the photos, and we. I do not have one with George Knapp. I do not have one with Corbell. Because are, Marnie fucked it all up. They are ghost photos now. Uh, but a different guy took a picture of Marnie and I together with Lazar. And honestly, to make And that Marnie, one came out. Imagine that. Oh, my God. Well, to make Marnie feel better, because, of course, she felt horrible. But yeah, I was like, was, look, messing. I might see Corbell again. I don't know about Nat, but Bob Lazar does not come out. So I... That was super cool. That's not... Like I said, he's not a regular at any circuit or anything. So and I was kind of bummed. I wish I was actually wearing pants, because I probably would have jumped out of the car and went over there and said hi. But I knew I couldn't yeah, go over thought, there. Yeah, you would have thought, well, who's this crazy I, I, person walking no, they, towards no, me? They, yeah, they would have literally been like, who the hell are you? Uh, so that's why I kind of just kept my distance and saw what was going on. It's so, okay. Well, they're getting their pictures. That's cool. Yeah. Jeremy Corbell was super nice. And if I was any bolder, I would have been like, you want to come on our podcast? <laughs> but I'm too scared to say things like that. You should have. Yeah, I know. So that's the first thing I'm like, well, yeah. Did you ask them if they want to come and talk to us yeah, on the show here? You know, they get bombarded with stuff like that a lot. So I hate to. Yeah, you want to come in my podcast? You want to come in my podcast? You want to talk about your movies? Yeah. I'm glad you had fun. I didn't. I plan on going. I we had a ticket for me, and um, yeah, something interesting happened to me this weekend. I don't know, and I know you're going to have plenty to say about this. Um, I've been dealing. Well, not with health issues. What do you call them? I mean, my back went out on St. Patrick's Day. We talked about that. You don't have health issues. You have anxiety problems. Well, my back went out, and then I started experiencing some pain in my in my right temple, and I've been dealing with that, and I've been getting tests. Mm-hmm. So I've been in and out of the doctor's office the last couple of weeks. And, yeah, something strange happened to me on Saturday. I felt... Um, it was it was bizarre. I just felt like my heart was beating a little faster than normal. I felt like my pulse rate was up, and I had a family function to go to. That's why your pulse was up. <laughs> well, it probably didn't help, um, but then that's when I noticed things started to elevate at, at my parents' house, and um, yeah, we started taking my my blood pressure and my pulse, and everything looked a little little higher than it should yeah, all be. All the home kits are always higher than normal. The home kits are freaky. So They'll tell you you're dying. Yeah, my mom and dad suggested that I go to the ER, which I reluctantly agreed. And uh, yeah, went to the ER. Long story short, I mean, they checked everything out on me and said everything looked great. Uh, they said everything that looks like the reason that you're here now. And by that time, my pulse had rated went down and my blood pressure was... You know, it wasn't very much higher than it was. It wasn't th- that bad. Everything they said was within normal limits, but high for me, at least, I guess. I'm, and uh, But they said it was all stress-induced. And that's why you just yeah. said I... 
So, but you know, okay, you're, it's so easy for I know, you. I know that, but Miss Armchair Armchair Psychiatrist. Yeah, because as soon as you called me and said, "I'm go- going to the hospital," I don't know if I'm going to make yeah, it. I don't talk like that. I don't care. That's I don't talk I like that. I right away sent you what and within two minutes. I'm like, here you go. Here's the definition of panic attack and why it's affecting you that way. Yeah, I had a panic. I had yeah. a panic attack. I was Saturday. like, he's fine. He's totally fine. There's just a lot of stuff that's piled up. And I don't think, you know, it's not just not that easy, Amber. Like, you're like, what well, you suck it up. No, I know that. Suck I it up and deal with you, it, you little weak I say that to you, too, with my anxiety when you make fun of me. And I'm like, I don't easy, make fun Scott. of you. I've never made fun of yeah, you. Yeah, you do. You fucking melted down at Mackinac. You remember when you melted down at Mackinac a couple uh, last year? Yeah. I said, let's go. That's because I got put in a corner and there was too many people around me and it freaked well, me out. Well, the creepy right? family next to us, they kept staring and at us. I wanted to punch you in the face. And I had to get out of there. Now, I, don't, I didn't blame you for that because, like I said, the creepy family that was next to us, they kept staring at us and listening to everything we were saying. And yeah, I'm I like, don't, I don't fuck like, your problem. Fuck I, you. I don't know what it is with breakfast places and having little two-seater tables like right next to other people. Next to the nuclear family. I hate it. And then they listen. Yeah, they listen to you. Yeah. and it's, Like, literally listen. And they even made a comment. I was. That's why I just even acknowledged you. He's like, are you guys leaving early? Yeah, the I'm fuck's gonna, it your business. I'm gonna puke all over your breakfast. Yeah, like don't look. But at I me. didn't. But the point is, I didn't. I didn't. I said, let's go. I know what you're talking about now because we've been through this a couple times, and I understand it now. So I don't give you a hard time. I said, let's get up. That's fine. I get it. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. Well, you okay. keep arguing about this. No. Um. You know the other thing you didn't comment on. The it's picture. not a switch. You can just turn off, Amber. This is from the uh, film, the film festival I went to. I sent you this picture I'm of, not gonna die, by of the, the way. movie Hail Satan? Hail, Question mark. Hail Satan. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't comment on this probably because you were getting tested. Well, I had a freaking tube in my arm and. But this EKG is something I'm going to have to look up because I don't. This is that satanic uh, statue of the two kids looking up at Baphomet. That statue. That's the Church of Satan. Yeah, thing. Church of Satan. So I don't know if this is about. And well, and there's looks like the Washington D.C. behind it. So I don't know. It must be a Satan is there documentary. A do- is it-, it looks kind of cool though. And I and I finally got a picture of it. I, I can't believe you didn't comment on that. But Hail Satan is the name of the documentary. I want to look that up. Where, anyway, where did you post it to? I sent it to your, uh, your Facebook Messenger. My Facebook Messenger. Facebook Messenger. So we Sorry, had I'll James have to look it up. Willis on. Yeah, dude. And oh my God, this was I so cool. Love James Willis. Love him. One of our all-time favorite people. He's easy to listen to. He has a billion stories. There's something Amazing about the guy. way he he talks, he speaks. He's so charismatic. Yeah. Um, there was a point when he's when he was talking about being at Waverly Hills, and there was a creature or something called the creature. Well, we're gonna talk about the creeper. I know. We're gonna or the talk creeper. About that. That's not. That's not. No, I'm not ruining it. I'm not ruining it. But they were talking about how you get this creature creeper to come out, and it had been on ghost adventures and i was like say zach baggins three times <laughs> <laughs> and then the creeper comes out he's got glasses on Sup, <laughs> muscle, <bruh>? muscle tea <laughs> Sup, bruh? Sup. anyway uh thankfully so, it didn't end that way no yeah and they didn't they didn't do that but hey if, i guess if you go to their say zach baggins three times and see what happens and report back uh or biggie smalls what is that what what biggie smalls will come get you too is that That's a South, South Park, Park reference, yeah. We've had a lot of South Park references tonight. There's not a thing wrong with South Park. No, there's not. So what's up? Let's talk, let's hear all about James oh, and get into this James. thing. Yeah, yeah, he's got the best bio ever. Well, James is the man. He's just he's he's just awesome all so, around. We love him so. Not much. since the headless horseman went charging through Sleepy Hollow as something came out of the Hudson Highlands of upstate New York is thrilling and chilling as author and paranormal researcher James A. Willis. Goddamn right. 
fueled by a steady childhood diet of Boo Berry cereal, Creepy Magazine, <laughs> and late-night Vincent Price movies. Willis soon developed a taste for the unexplained and quickly began seeking out all things strange and spooky. A taste. When he wasn't trying to coax the boogeyman out from under his bed for a mm. photo shoot, mm. Willis pondered such eternal questions as, what happens to us when we die? Is there life on other planets? And what possesses someone to decorate their house with 1,001 milk jugs? These are important questions. Very important questions. In 1999, after spending more than 15 years chasing after ghosts and visiting crybaby bridges, Willis moved to Ohio and founded the Ghosts of Ohio, a nationally recognized paranormal research organization. And that they are. Yep. Willis has grown the organization to well over 35 members in three divisions throughout the state, Columbus, Cleveland, and Cincinnati. Wonderful group C's. of people. Wonderful group of people. And uh, yeah, so this was an awesome show and we will have him back many, many times. Please. You're going to, I'm not going to have to, I'm not even going to say please. Just, just enjoy, enjoy our discussion with just James Willis. Just, just love it. Just love on James. No, inappropriate. Just, just a, inappropriate. Here's the show. Coming out of a bunker in Michigan, ghostly talk, he's in your ears again. Buckle up, get your head up, spin again. Turn it on, then come right in. Born in the one and only GT crew, coming back old school, run right over you. Go to ask the biggest Queen fan I know, which is James, <laughs> what his thoughts were on the movie Bohemian Rhapsody because I only watched it like two weeks ago for the first time. And as an avid, like you are the biggest Queen fan I know, did you like the movie? I did. Um, I was, that being said, it's um, it plays fast and loose with, uh, facts as well as the timeline and uh, a lot of things in there. Okay. But um, overall, I, I liked it simply, I think, because uh, I've always been trying to convince people that Queen were like a kick-ass band, yeah. and uh, the movie kind of proved it, even though it was kind of a Disney-esque version of it. So. <laughs> yeah. But doesn't, doesn't it piss you off? I mean, this, this always annoys me, James, with stuff like this. Um, it takes a giant $300 million movie to, to to convince people that queen was this amazing band not people just going you know seeing their maybe their name going hey i'd like to check those guys out and see what they're all about i mean it takes something like of that magnitude to convince people how great the band was or is still yeah i i, I kind of got over it but but yeah it did because i can remember um way back in 1982 and when i was in high school getting like chased down the hallway by the local stoners for wearing my Queen Hot Space tour jersey. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Queen, that's, uh, if you've never heard that, 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 was, uh, that was a misstep right there for them. But, um, yeah, and I was trying to say, but Brian May makes his own guitar, you know, and they, they didn't care. They were just chasing me, and they were going to thrash me if they ever caught me. But, um, so, yeah, Queen, you know, I wasn't, I would say from, the probably like 82 up until Freddie passed in 91 queen was not cool. And, you know, they had 
certainly not in the United States. Um, so, yeah, and then I kind of was content with them being the way they were, you know, kind of this mysterious band that nobody cared about, but I knew was really awesome. Um, yeah, and then when the movie came out, kind of blew that out of the water. Case in point, um, this past Saturday was Record Store Day. Oh, yeah. I was there. Every time there was a record store day and Queen had something coming out or even the solo stuff, you know, like Brian May was putting stuff out, I could basically walk in there and, you know, have my pick of the litter. Um, I did get all four of the Queen-related items, but I had to run all over town because I started in my local shop and they're like, no, those are gone. And I'm like, how can they be gone? It's because Queen is suddenly cool, you know, decades later. (laughs) Well, you know, the same thing happened. Maybe not the same idea, but I always use this as an example of the same situation that that Queen's in now is the Titanic, right? Uh, We all, I mean, I always was fascinated by the Titanic and the the, the tragedy that the Titanic became, but it took a $500 gazillion film uh, to be done to be done by James Cameron for people to go, oh my God, what a sad tragedy that was. I'm like, this shit happened almost 100 years ago. What are you talking about? I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, take, it takes this for you to care about something or pick up a book, God forbid, and and read about right. it and figure something out. Or, or, like, or in the Queen's case, you know, nowadays, I think even more so, it's easier to explore. I mean, I, I, this is the reason I love technology to a certain degree when it comes to music, because yeah, if there's a band that I want to check out now, at least maybe just take a couple albums in or whatever they have, I can hop on a, on something like Spotify or whatever and check stuff out really fast. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, and a lot of times yep. I go out and buy the stuff because I always buy the music, right? But I mean, with what people have now, if they're if you're just curious, you can go listen to a couple of tunes. Um, but again, it takes, I mean, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I haven't really sat down and watched the movie myself. I don't think it's a bad thing. I mean, really, if we think about it, that's a good thing. Cause yeah, people do care about the band now, right? People are spending yeah, time with I, the band. I go think ahead. how it actually for me came full circle is that, um, Courtney, my daughter, you know, she's eight years old and Steph, my wife and I, we went and we saw it on like opening night yeah. and we came home and my daughter was kind of like disappointed that we didn't take her because we really? just said we were going to the movies and when she found out who it was who she used to refer to it as daddy's queen yeah. um, <laughs> and so i was like you wanted to go and so we you know we sat down and talked about it and we were like well it's pg-13 and she's kind of an old soul so we can so we took her and um she actually mixed into her little personal playlist with her taylor swifts and all that kind of stuff has got an enormous amount of Queen music. Um, she kind of actually makes me quiz her on lyrics now. Um, so she wow. is, will now probably tell you that Queen is her favorite group, which before then she just would be like, oh, that's Daddy's Queen or whatever. But she was moved by the movie and their story that she, so it's a whole new generation now that are being exposed to it. So. I can forgive the kind of screw-ups that they put in the movie for that. Well, yeah, and like I said, I mean, as much as it's much, much griping as I'm going to say, you know, have about just the fact that, you know, it takes something like this for them to get the recognition they deserve, it, they're getting the, the recognition they deserve. So I'm happy about that. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. It, it happens to me all the time. I'll watch a documentary, like, if I'm at the gym, I'll I'll tend to put on some if you're if I'm on the, the elliptical thing I always want to put on some goofy documentary on on my phone just to kill some time and I always end up hopping yep. on a, some just random rock documentary about a band a lot of times I try to watch ones about bands I don't know 
right? And that I didn't yeah. get into. And I watch about a half an hour of that, and I'm like, man, I'm going to go home and check all this cool stuff out. So those mm-hmm. things always tend to kind of jog my interest in things, in, in, in a band or whatever it may be. So, again, all around, I think it really is a good thing. And you said records? You, yeah. You went out on Record Store Day? Yeah, I went out on Record Store Day, and usually, I mean – the shop that I go into opens up on record store day at like eight o'clock and you know, queen when they have stuff, it's usually like one or two. And this year they had, um, four. Yeah. And, and I ended up going to, gosh, I don't remember five or six places to actually get them all because they were sold out of the first couple of ones where traditionally you'd walk in, pick it up and, you know, walk out because nobody wanted them. Yeah. They, uh, the store that I went to, it's my buddy's store here at home. And yeah, they, they did the eight o'clock open thing. And I'm like, and Amber, the only reason I was there was for Amber. That's just, I'm going to make this very clear right now. I'd have been sleeping soundly oh Saturday my God. morning. I told you, you did not have to go if you didn't want to, that that w- it wasn't that important. Well, you don't have to go if you don't no. want to, but I really no. would love to have no, 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 there wasn't an add on. No. Yeah. So, and then you know what you said? You remember what you said? What'd I say? Well, I kind of need to get up anyway. It's an excuse for me to get up. Yeah, I did. I was happy. Yeah. To so get... after I excused you from going, you yeah, you yeah. went anyway. So. I got there. I don't know about you. He, he said, "Wait, wait, wait." He he sounds like Cartman in the morning. Yes. <laughs> we we okay. sound like Cartman. We both sound like Cartman as far as our our brains are concerned. I think it's just been this thing. We both think that we sound like Cartman when we're describing each other yeah. vo- verbally. I guess. I think so too. Um, okay, I didn't know if it was just some weird morning thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got to the, my buddy's store, and you know he had a radio station there. It was a big circus. And I got there knowing that it was going to be, because I talked to my buddy a few days before that. And I'm like, well, how busy is it going to be? And he's like, dude, we're going to have a line down the street. I'm like, for real? <laughs> so um, I got there at 7 o'clock with my coffee thinking, okay, well, I'll get here at 7 o'clock. And I'll probably be standing in front of the door by myself like a dumbbell until people start showing up. And I pull up there and there was already a line going down the street, like starting. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know, and you know, it's all, it was, it's a lot like waiting in line at the amusement park. I just treated it like that and got in line with my coffee and said hello to the people behind and front, you know, behind me and in front of me. And by the time we got to the front of the line, we were laughing and having a good time. So it was a good time, but I'm like, dude, for records. Wow. Uh, this is, and yeah, Yeah, I mean, I mean, back to, back to your point where you were saying about like queen making like a comeback. I, I don't know when vinyl became officially cool again i mean i knew it was kind of making a comeback but it's a little weird for me because i've collected queen stuff it's mainly the vinyl that i collect and it's weird to go into these things and find they'll be like oh yeah we got a lot of queen vinyl here and i'm like but these are all like reissues reissues these aren't the original stuff that i'm looking for so it's it's a little weird but yeah there was a there were lines all over the place there were people sleeping online and i'm like you know like this is, it's vinyl, man. <laughs> well, I mean, I walked up and I said to the people, I was walking by everybody in the line. I'm like, what the hell time did you guys get here? It's 7 o'clock in the morning right now. Like, who gets up at this time on a Saturday morning? Oh, you people are crazy. But they were there. Well, James, if you remember this, uh, speaking of vinyl, if you remember this clearly, I think this was in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. You walked up to <laughs> me with, with, with a Holy Terror record. I don't know if you remember this, yeah. James walks up. He's oh, like, I remember. He's like, I know this is your favorite band. 
and I want to give you this. And he gave me a Mind Wars record, their second album. He gave me a Holy yeah. Terror record, which blew my mind, which is still in my collection, bagged first up. Pressing? Yeah, yeah, it's a first pressing. Wow. It's a first pressing. <laughs> well, yeah, it was. It's an original. Well, yeah, it's it's an original pressing of that. And uh, yeah, you, you gave me that one. I still got that. It's in, of course, in my collection, bagged up and hasn't changed. I, that wasn't the one that got signed. I actually had the guys. No, that that was after we uh, you gave that to me. I have a couple that are signed by those guys. But yeah, that's one of the things I remember when it comes to records. You were you gave me that copy of the Holy Terror record, Mind Wars. Yeah, and I I, I really I remember that because that was the year that we were like down near the water that we were like presenting and we had like our backs and the boats kept pulling up behind oh us. Oh my God, yeah. that was a mess. I just don't remember how we got on the topic of Holy Terror. Maybe it was when I called in, we did the back masking show or something like that. Yeah, and, maybe. But I knew that you liked them and I was like, oh yeah, I got their album. And you were like, no, you don't. I'm like, <laughs> I do. <laughs> I actually have the uh, master tapes now. I don't know if I told you about that or not. They uh they no. they gave me the two inch reels, um of both the albums and the demo too, uh, and I have those wow. those hot those those are safely housed in my office also. Yeah, it was just one of those things where Kurt from the band got a hold of me and said, "Hey, um, we're gonna be we're we're dumping these to Pro Tools, um, and we're gonna you know master them digitally now. We don't really need the tapes anymore. Do you want them? I'm like, do I fucking want them? Are you kidding me? Let's get this <laughs> thing figured out. You know. So yeah, I have those. So I'm really proud of that. I think that's super cool. But yeah, the vinyl thing's funny. Very cool. The vinyl thing's funny, and you're you're right. I, I'm curious as to know when it became cool. Uh, but you know, I think the idea because I've talked to people about this and said, you know, okay, why all of a sudden everybody is everybody buying buying records again, like records, records again? And a couple of my friends were, you know, that work at stores. They're like, well, the idea that they started up about ten years ago was just this movement to say, okay, look, music is just too easy to get now. And, and the artists are suffering as a result of that. We need to go back to the days where music, you had to work for it. You know, you had to go and buy the stuff instead of being able to just download it, you know, illegally, if you if that's your thing, or just go anywhere and listen to it or stream it. So the idea was to kind of go back to that time, that idea where music was more of an adventure, which I totally am into that idea. I love that idea because that's what made me fall in love with music when I was a kid was going to a record store and literally buying a record uh, based on the album cover. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And going, this looks this <laughs> looks sick. I Iron Maiden. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, this looks yeah. sick. I'm going to buy this. And I'd say 95, 96% of the time, I, they were always a winner for me. You always got a dud every once in a while. But that's how you <laughs> used to buy records when you were younger, you know. Um, so that's kind of, I think, what people have told me about their, you know, the movement of what is now this big, you know, the vinyl, you know, it's it's a billion, $300 billion a year business or whatever now. Uh, they can't sell enough records now. There's new pressing plants opening up every week again. Uh, it's a huge mm. business again because I guess it's just this idea we want to go back to this, you know, the, the, the kinder, gentler times uh, of music before we had this, the hard digital age came in. That's just the philosophy that I was given. No, I, I mean, that, that makes sense. I mean, for me, when I was younger part of getting the record like you said was the adventure but then getting it home and just kind of you basically had a piece of artwork in your hands you know and then opening it up and you know lord help you if it even had a gatefold or something like that oh, but they dude. had the lyrics in there and you and it was you didn't just do this now i really sound old when i say this but it wasn't just you pop in a song you know okay i'm gonna download the next one now move on i mean you had to invest time you know you had to 
sit there and think about what, you know, why did the artist put the songs in this order? Because, exactly. you know, in 15, 20 minutes, I, I got to flip it over again. So, you yeah. know, you, you had to invest time into this sort of musical journey that they wanted to take you on, where now it's just, what's the next single? What's the next one? What's the yeah. next one? You know, and it's... And there's a, there's a real art form, I think, and I say this often to people about music. You know, anybody can just write a song and throw it out there, and that's simple, but... You know, real, I think real bands and real collaboratives, those are the ones that write albums. And like you said, yep. you know, some these, uh, every album, I think, I'll be willing to say that every album that's put out there that, you know, that people have put time into at least, there was always thought putting it, put into the sequencing. You know, what songs mm -hmm. should come after what? I'm in the middle of it right now with a band I plan, and we spent hours just arguing over what song should go where on this album that we're we're finishing up right now it's so we're no different and all the greats even all the amateurs spend time when they when they put together eight or ten or twelve songs that they want to record in one session and that yeah that takes a lot of work i don't think people realize how 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 much of a headache that can be trying to do something like that and make it all work together as one piece of art and that goes for, you know, the artwork, like you're saying. I can't say enough about that. Taking a, taking a record home and going into your, you know, wherever you go to listen to your music at and opening that thing up and then, yeah, exploring all the artwork, exploring all the liner notes, and then, of course, exploring the music, too. Uh, it's a very, very cohesive piece of art uh, that I think a lot of, you know, that's, and it goes right back to what I was saying, this idea, yeah, the going back to this idea that you know, music is not just sounds that come out of your phone or your iPod at one time, and we want this to happen again. It was something that you actually went out and searched for, something that you really wanted. It yeah. was a piece of art. So I like that idea that going, you know, that that that's happening and that's alive and well now again today. Yeah, I mean, I I can probably name at least six albums off the top of my head that are that I've got in uh, frames that are hanging up around my house can't name one piece of digital music that's actually hanging on my wall because it's not art it's just you know it's just a sound file yeah yeah i mean and a lot of stuff in the early 2000s yeah it was just written with that idea in mind i, I mean a lot of the bands or artists of that time they didn't even consider pressing like sending something out to have it pressed so people could buy a physical copy it was just put up on the web as a piece of error basically that you could pull yep. down into into your computer. And there was no thought behind artwork or any of that stuff. It was just something that someone wrote. And I mean, it's a piece of art. I guess that's a piece of art too. But, you know, the again, going back to the idea of what I know we both think what music is to us, it's, it's, an, it's a visual thing as much sometimes as it is an audio thing. Yeah. Well, okay, so, so we're, yeah. we're talking about music here, so I we, we got. She's been trying to derail me here for yeah, like five well, minutes, but we, I'm having fun. We we got to dive into this. <laughs> no, we are, we this Paul this. McCartney thing because I need to hear about this. Well, you've been doing. You've been. This is trippy. Yeah, you've been doing lectures on the whole part. Paul McCartney is dead hoax, right? So tell us about this, yeah, please. Yeah, you guys familiar with it? No, I'm not really. I am a little bit. It's um to me it is. It is the most fascinating um, subject that I've covered. And I, I fell into it because it was through the whole ghost stuff back when I was, like, younger. Because back then, you know, it was like the, oh, I guess it was like the early 80s and people were talking about that if you played, you know, songs backwards, there was, you know, like Stairway to Heaven and all that. There was, 
hidden messages and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I stumbled across a a story that started. Um, they're not really sure. There's various ways that they claim that it actually got started, but basically in the late '60s, a story popped up that Paul McCartney had been killed in a car accident in 1966, and that the Beatles were kind of at the height of their fame or believe they were, and so they made this decision that they were going to replace Paul McCartney with a look-alike and sound-alike. He was more of a sound-alike, and they figured since they weren't actively touring, they could get plastic surgery done. So they did, you know, according to this legend here, they replaced him with a double, and then the remaining three Beatles felt bad that they had done that. And so for that reason, supposedly, they hid clues to the fact that Paul McCartney was dead and had been replaced by a double in everything from their song lyrics to the album covers to the songs themselves, including things that if you played them backwards would say something like, um, I buried Paul to uh, the infamous one is Turn Me On, Dead Man. All this weird, weird stuff. And for me, the the, the trippiest part is that everybody believed this was true. I mean, it's it's funny to think nobody would believe that, but they did. Yeah. They used to have clue clubs where people would actually just sit around and try to dissect every single thing on the cover of, say, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Why is this guy here? Why does yeah. Paul McCartney have a random hand over his head? Just weird, weird thing. Uh-huh. Now, before we go any further, I want to I want to note this to maybe newer listeners who maybe haven't listened to the older archives of the show. Maybe they've only listened to the new stuff we do. James Willis, um, we've done we did a handful of shows with you back in the early days where we did nothing but backmasking. We you you we would yeah. come on the show and we do we just backmasked and we we look for the well, we would talk about these messages we heard in not just the Beatles but all types of different artists. What I'm going to do and I was I, this popped in my head just a second ago when we post this show, we're going to have we'll, we'll link back to some of the older shows with you also, James. So if people want to cool. check out the backmasking stuff, and we're going to probably have you back on down the road here to do to talk about more backmasking, but just for the time being, we'll link back to some of the older shows that people can listen to or pull up if they haven't heard those and they can get familiar with that thing too so i didn't mean to interrupt you but i didn't want to forget about that oh no worries yeah and i think some of the paul mccartney stuff is um i'm trying to remember because i think we did a couple of shows i think one was actually like three hours long it was a yeah so we I'm had sure a riot some paul mccartney <laughs> stuff in there yeah i'll find those and we'll make sure we link back to those for sure James, did this story? But, um, did uh, I'm sorry. Did this story get started first in the UK or in the United States? It was in the United States, and by everything that I've been able to dig up, is it was kind of a US kind of okay phenomena, if you will. It seems where I've been able to trace it back is that in 1967. So the story broke right around in like September of '69, and. In 1967, there was a there was a, a magazine that was put out monthly called Beatles Book Monthly, and there was there's a little blurb in there that talks. It's called False Rumor, and it was the idea that he had been killed in a car crash, but of course it wasn't true. He was safe at home and all that sort of stuff. That's the earliest thing that I can find of anything related to him being dead. 
Um, but right around in September, and the neat thing is at these presentations, because people are like, this isn't real. And I'm like, well, I'm not saying he's dead, but I'm telling you this was a real phenomenon. And it swept all across this. So I play um, old clips from like radio stations from the 60s where people were calling in and going like, hey, what's this about Paul McCartney being dead? Um, the earliest one in print up that made references to the clues um, is actually a 1969 um, college paper and uh, the college escapes me, but it's out of Michigan. Um, and I show the cover of that. It escapes me um, which one it was, but then it kind of spread north from there. So I've got it being covered in late September um, in Ohio newspapers, Illinois newspapers, and then it just took off. Um, probably the strangest thing was that um, a disc jockey um, from the New York radio station was actually told, we don't want you, uh, Roby Young was his name, he was told, we don't want you not to talk about it. But people kept calling up, and he, he was like the overnight DJ. Yeah. So he started he started talking about it, and uh, he got yanked off the air and was fired. Wow. Um, so it's, it's a weird thing. Part of it was also what it allowed it to spin out of control was that um, Derek Taylor, the, the press agent for the Beatles at the time, um, Paul was actually away, you know, away on holiday. And Derek called him up and was like, you know, dude, you got to make an appearance or something. And Paul was like, no, I don't want to. This is ridiculous. And so the fact that people couldn't find Paul McCartney while all this was going on, um, really led to the idea that, well, maybe he is dead. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's just fascinating because to me, it's one of what I tell people in the presentation. It's like one of the earliest examples I know of fake news yeah. or an urban legend that just spun out of control with no Internet exactly. or anything like that. Yeah. It was literally just word of mouth. So the stories, uh, I mean, at least to you, it seems the story of this is more interesting than the, I mean, just the fact that it would go, there, I'm going to use the V word, it went viral. It basically sure. went viral. That word right? still yeah. applies to then. Yeah, totally. Because uh, to me, I mean, it has my gears turning about this idea of, if this actually happened, let's just, let's just for a minute assume this actually happened. I mean, I can almost go step by step. It seems that what may have happened here, I mean, obviously you, I mean, the Beatles were such a hot commodity at that time. It was simple. Their managers, record labels, all these people were like, well, we can't, we can't stop this cash cow. We have to figure something else out here. Simple as that. Right. right. And that's where, I mean, the cost to do what they did would not be that much money really to just put a double in there. You said there was plastic surgery involved also. That's what the theory is. And what, um, to me, what is also the most fascinating thing about it is that, um, and I'll give you a couple of examples, but there are, when you, when I present these clues in the presentation, what does I, I do is I tell people, these are not my clues. These are the ones that were actually out there that people said that they found that were direct result, but I didn't make any of these up. And some of them, when I play them or I show things, people are like, no, that's ridiculous. But there's other things that are throughout the presentation where you look at some of those clues and you're like, that had to be intentional. That had to be put there intentionally. So were the Beatles in on it because they really did feel bad that Paul was dead? Or did they go, all right, well, if he's dead and you guys are going to buy our records, you know, we'll put a little clue in there. I mean, for me, the most 
interesting thing of all in all of this is that on um, Magical Mystery Tour, the four of them are dressed up as these weird characters. Yeah, one of one of them is the Walrus is in all black. The story is that Paul is actually the Walrus, and that it is he is in all black because he's dead. It's a symbol of death which leads you into the path of the song, I Was the Walrus, which John Lennon sings, but if you look on the inside of Magical Mystery Tour, where it says, I am the walrus, and it says, you know, Lennon underneath it, it's almost handwritten in the side there. It says, no, you're not, said little, little Nicola. <laughs> so is he saying he's not the walrus? But saying all of that to get to the point where I'm like, this part had to be intentional. On um, the Beatles' White Album, the song uh, Glass Onion, John Lennon, it's in the lyrics, he clearly says that it's not hidden, yeah. but he says, I told you about the walrus and me, man. You know that we're as close as can be, man. Well, here's another clue for you all. The walrus was Paul. Oh, my God. That's kind of weird. Is, and, I mean, weird. That's, more, that's more direct right there. Because with the back masking, well, go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, if they... If they know about this, this is going around. I mean, what what more fun could you have than to just play into the to the urban legend that's going around about your band and, and just do stuff like this? I would. I would exactly. mess with fans. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, and that's, yeah. that happens still today. Uh, artists revel in, in speculation and rumor and stuff like that, and they play on that. So, and this could simply could be just a story of that too like you said and i know it's obvious you're open to that too that paul was never killed but all of a sudden this weird story went viral back in these times and why not have some fun with that why not screw with people i go ahead amber i was, I was just gonna ask james did has paul ever publicly commented on this urban legend about the band he he didn't for years and years and what i end the presentation with is a couple of examples of, I call it the legacy, which is how this thing played out. And there is a um, hysterical um, bit from Saturday Night Live when they had the Chris Farley show, where he was actually like, his whole thing was that he was the worst like interviewer ever, and he would be all like, <laughs> yeah. nervous and things like that. And he interviews the real Paul McCartney. And so Chris Farley is like talking, and he's going, uh, uh, you remember when like, you were supposed to be dead and, and like uh, people would play things backwards and say like, Paul is dead. Like that was a hoax. Right. And, and Paul kind of looks at him and he goes, yeah, I wasn't really dead. Well, huh. um, who knows? So, but I, I will say what I end the presentation with is probably my favorite one because it shows how this bizarre urban legend just spread and has become part of pop culture. Yeah. It's an episode of the Simpsons. <laughs> oh no. And, um, Lisa wants to become a vegetarian and she meets up with Linda and Paul McCartney and it is them. And she says, you know, I, I didn't know you guys were vegetarians. And he goes, yeah, of course we all, we put, and he says something like we put things in all of our songs and he goes, I'll let you in on a secret. If you play Maybe I'm Amazed backwards, there's a recipe for a written lentil soup in it. <laughs> and and at the end credits, they play Maybe I'm Amazed, and there is clearly backmasking. 
going on behind it that is not in the song itself. It was clearly put in there for the Simpsons. For the Simpsons. If, yeah. Okay. So it's, if you look it up like on like YouTube or something, you can find it, but it's not in the original version. It's very obvious that it was put in there just for the Simpsons. Yeah. Well, I spun it backwards. It's a recipe for lentil soup. Paul McCartney is reading it. Oh. And the very and so he sa- at the very end of it he goes, and there you have it, Simpson lovers. Oh, and by the way, I'm alive. Oh, that's great. <laughs> this is a really crazy topic. Um I <laughs> yeah, it is. And I've I've been exposed to this, you know, very lightly a couple times. Um you know, and it's something I, you know, you hear stories, like I said, about other bands, too. And I think it's the people and I don't want to say the people that are obsessed, but they're like they're big fans of the music. Right. And they're going to mm-hmm. be naturally drawn to stories like this. I mean, I like like the kiss thing, for example. I mean, Henry Rollins talks about this in one of his spoken word things from a year. He's like, there's like two types of kiss fans. He's like, there's the kiss fan. that's like, oh, yeah, I like kiss. They're pretty good, you know, and he's like. Then there's the other Kiss fan. It's like, it's 7 o'clock in the morning. What's Paul Stanley doing right now? I have to find out, right? <laughs> um, and I think there's, there, obviously, with there's no shortage of, of people who are of that caliber of fan for the Beatles. So, yeah. to me, it's, all, it's very natural that stories like this, whether they're true or not, would pop up and you'd have all this speculation and years and years of people looking at this thing. Uh, and I think it makes it makes the experience of, of loving a band even more fun, though, too, I think. Yeah, and I also think, like, going back to what we were talking about earlier with the whole idea of, like, artwork being, you know, a work of art. So you've got this album cover that's got artwork on it, you know, and the Beatles really kind of upped the game with Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. So that was very unique, all oh, the way yeah. down to, like, having the lyrics on the back cover yeah. Which, by the way, Paul McCartney has turned backwards on the back cover because they said his plastic surgery wasn't done yet. But, oh, wow. um, but but all of this was new to people. They were like, why are there lyrics on the back here? There there must be some deeper meaning as opposed to somebody, you know, at the record company going, hey, why don't we put the lyrics on the back or something Let's like that? Let's try something so different. Yeah. There, you know, and stare. you can stare at that at Sgt. Pepper's, the cover of that forever. And if you're looking for clues, you'll find them on there because... It was just so different and so weird. Yeah. Well, my favorite kind of art, I say this all the time, I don't care what kind of art it is, whether it's music or movies or books or whatever it might be, is a piece of art that you can keep coming back to over and over and over again. And maybe not every time you come back to it, but every once in a while you'll find something new that you didn't see before. That to me is the finest of art. I don't care what medium it is. So, you know what, you're doing now, not only this thing, but you're also doing um, a series of presentations this summer chronicling UFO sightings through the years in Ohio, which obviously that's your home, you're a native of. Uh, so you're not only doing the Paul McCartney stuff, but you're doing this. Tell me, let's hear about this, like the, the sightings you're referring to. Well, it's it's funny because I, again, I, um, I was actually born in, in upstate New York, so when I moved to Ohio in like the nineties, I asked, you know, and I was always already into before I moved here, the whole ghost thing and just weird stuff. And growing up in like the Hudson Valley of upstate New York, that is just like a creepy, creepy place. I mean, it's got everything from, you know, the Catskill mountains and you've got the whole idea behind, you know, that's where Rip Van Winkle took his nap. And that's, (laughs) you know, the area the headless horseman went through. So you've got all these twisted, stories like that 
um, a lot of Bigfoot encounters in New York. They've got the Lake Champlain monster. They've got Champ that makes his way around there. Um, and, of course, there were a bunch of UFO reports in the 80s. I actually went out looking for them. There was a, a book called Night Siege that came out about all of these UFO sightings that were going over, like, a nuclear power plant. They were heading towards West Point. I mean, just crazy stuff. And when I moved to, was getting ready to move to Ohio, and I was asking people, you know, so, like, what's weird in Ohio? Like, what's the thing to, like, check out? And the answer people gave me, which was so ridiculous that it ended up being as part of my preface for, like, weird Ohio. But when I told people, I was like, you know, so tell me about Ohio. They would always think for a moment, and they'd go, well, I think a lot of people drive through Ohio. <laughs> and I'm like, that, that's it? <laughs> so, so I thought that I was moving into nothingville, you know, and I couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, uh, Ohioans are weird and they're proud of it. So they have got stories about anything you can think of. And what I love about Ohio is that they don't just have regular ghost stories. Their stories are always unique and twisted and stuff. And so when it comes to the UFO stories, when you think UFOs and Ohio, nothing really like springs to mind. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know, I guess they see them or something like that. But when you start digging into them, they have some of the most famous UFO sightings of all. I mean, the one that when I first read about what that I was like, this is like crazy. And it really did happen. But it was in um, April of 1966. Um, Local police from uh, Portage County, Ohio, basically chased a UFO for over 80 miles. They chased it all the way to the state border in Pennsylvania, and they couldn't catch it. They actually said that at a certain point, the thing thought that it was, you know, kind of waiting for them to catch up. One of them, the car started malfunctioning, so it had to pull over, and it seemed like the UFO was just chilling out, waiting for them to catch up. But they could never catch it. And to me, the craziest thing of all, that when I heard this, I'm like, why doesn't anybody else know of this? Is that after the reports in the 60s um, hit the local newspapers, they actually made national news. There was this guy who was in film school, and he read it, and he was like, wow, I'm from Ohio. That would make a good movie one day. That was Steven Spielberg. What? And the, the the beginning scene of Close Encounters, where they're chasing the UFO, that yeah, is yeah. his recreation of the Portage County UFO chase. How cool is that? And see, it's like, why, why didn't I know of this before now? Um, you know, all the way down to, I believe, it's been a while since I watched it, I have to go back, but he does it all the way to, they chase the after, they go by Richard Dreyfus up on the hillside, they do go through the toll booths at the, um, at the border. But I think he actually reversed it. I think they're driving into Pennsylvania, but I could be wrong. But he does have them going and disappearing once they cross the state lines. So I was just like, wow, this is, you know, and because I'm in Ohio, once I hear that story, what gets me excited is taking a story that I think people haven't heard before and like (laughs) bringing it to the masses. Cause that's what I think is the coolest thing of all is just sharing a weird story like that and seeing the look on people's faces where they're like, 
wait a second, Close Encounters? I've seen that movie. Right? You know, and you're it's like, huge. yeah, now you can look it up and find out what happened that brought that scene about. Yeah, well, that's got plenty of gravity. I mean, that's iconic now, obviously. Uh, and to know it came from Ohio, that's surprising. I, I have to say, I, I had no idea that that would be... I didn't. I thought that way. I didn't think there was any well, any origin from that. Honestly, and there there are certain states that I think everybody collectively feels are more boring than other states, like Iowa, Kansas, <laughs> Ohio, like those. Like, yeah. and when you actually dig into it and you find all these cool stories, and you can you can put them in books, like you you know you for for those of you who don't know, James Willis is the author of Weird Ohio, and the Weird series books um, yes. are awesome. Because they they tell all kinds of crazy stories, uh, from ghost stories to UFOs to Bigfoots, everything are in these books. They're fantastic. I, I have like maybe half of the states. I still need to collect all I of think, them. I think we need to point out also too to anybody who may not know James Willis, who's here on the phone with us. Uh, he's one of the finest speakers oh, I've ever seen at oh, any oh, at oh, any conference oh, I've ever been oh, to. Sorry, yeah. James. I know he's. Sorry. I know he, you're yeah. going beat red right now. No, it has to no, happen. This I have to tell you this, James. So when we were going around all these conferences back in the day, and and you'd see a lot of the same speakers over and over again, and if you didn't want to sit at the table and you wanted something to do, you'd go watch a speaker, and a lot of people I could watch and okay, watched him one time, cool, great, heard what you had to say. Uh, you know a speaker is good when you can go listen to them over. And over and over, even if they are telling the same presentation. Yeah. And you had one of those. There was a particular one, and it was at that. Do you remember being at a? We were in Ohio. It was at that one conference. It, it at stunk. That, it's that really it smelled st- like mold. The, the, it was really a nice bunch of people. It was <laughs> yeah. a nice bunch yeah, of people to put it on. Yeah. It was a good venue, but it just smelled like mold. It and was, yeah, it was, yeah. I remember you were doing a presentation. And, uh, I think it focused on the weird Ohio book, but you had a can of Red Bull or some energy drink. And you were zipping around, just like pacing back and forth. And you made some comment about like, what? where am I? I don't even know where I'm at. Because you were so jazzed. And I, I, I always, I've always wanted to go back and listen to that because we recorded it. We recorded it, yeah. And because I know you can hear me going, ha! Like in the back, you'll hear me just laughing because I was the only one that like thought that was super funny for some weird reason. But anyway, James, you are the reason. You sure you're not wired right now? I've had some coffee today, but... <laughs> You are the reason why I do the presentations the way I do my presentations, if that makes any sense. Uh, I yeah. I love the way you model. I model mine after yours because uh, I just like the way you delivered, um, how you'd put in, mix in a lot of humor. And that's, yeah, okay, so that's our mid-show compliment to James. <laughs> no, I, 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 that is very touching, and you don't know what it, how happy that makes me that I've actually – had an influence on you. So thank you for yes. that. My, I mean, my whole thing is when I first, when I first got into this field, I didn't, you know, there weren't that many public speakers. And I do actually even remember like ages ago hearing, um, I, I won't name them, but they, they were, it was, a, um, no, I wouldn't even say that, but it, it was a couple we'll say, and they were very famous. And I went there, and I was so stoked, and I had their books, and I was just so excited. Yeah, I know who and you're talking about. they were boring. They were yeah, so boring. And I'm know. like, how can you expect people to get excited about this stuff if you're not excited? And it was just, and then I, you know, I just hit very famous person after very famous person who I walked away being disappointed. And I finally, when it came time for me to, try to go out and tell presentations. I'm like, 
I'm not going to read from my book, and I'm just going to, I'm going to have a PowerPoint to keep me honest, yep. but I am just going to go out there, get amped up, because I want people to feel as excited as I did when I first heard the story. So, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, yep. Nope. I think it's a perfect model, and uh, and I, I can't wait to see one of your presentations again down the road, because I'm sure we're going to yeah, bump into gonna, you at some point. We're going to cross paths again sooner or later here, hopefully sooner. I, I'm really hoping that or happens. Yeah, there's, because the, the, those presentations have just grown and expanded, and even the um, – it's always interesting, because when I first started doing all of the paranormal things, they always wanted Weird Ohio, and yeah. then – after, you know, a couple of years, I was like, well, I have other things, you know, and these paranormal conferences, they would shy away from me. Do They didn't want me talking ghosts. And I, I don't That's know weird. why. I've got a couple of theories, but I don't know actually why. But most of the most of my ghost presentations that I do are one offs that I schedule and do on my own. I don't get invited to many um paranormal conventions anymore which is weird because the ones that i get invited to it's the same thing i walk off and they're like holy cow you are like on fire well that doesn't make sense either because you when one of the when we met you too you you had your ghost group and you guys had like impressive gadgets and things that uh you were using the, to collect data, and that's one of the things I know that we have in our no show notes uh, that you're working on more ghost research by visiting locations five to six times to create a database. So you're actually in the field doing ghost research. Um, why would these people not want you to come speak about it? Um, I don't know. Huh. Um, you know. As I said, there's a couple of theories, and I, I think one of them might be that it's, a lot of these conventions are run by ghost organizations. Yeah. And I think that there is some, I mean, this sounds pompous and arrogant, but it's okay, um, that um, there might be some concern that I'm going to come in and steal some thunder, you know, which I've always, a lot of these places, too, are held inside, quote-unquote, haunted buildings, right. where a lot of them have, you know, the resident of unofficial ghost group of that. So yep. I don't know if there's some apprehension that you know weird willis is going to come in and try to take our business right to which i tell people there's plenty of ghosts around i don't i don't want to you know to take over anybody's turf or anything like that so i don't uh, yeah i don't know it makes me a little sad because it's i mean actually i think the first time that i ran into ghostly talk was at the the weird winter i think with with Troy, Troy, yeah, yeah, uh, Troy Taylor, mm -hmm. and and I think he's actually he is probably one of the few that you know because he's I mean he's always doing he's the master of the conventions yeah. and yeah. you know he mixes it up but you know every few years he's like we got to have you back out here you know um and that's very rare because I usually if I do get invited it, I never get a return invite so it's uh, it's weird I think that there's also the aspect of um, dare I say it, but at these conventions, you know, they've never asked me to talk about my research, um, which I get because they kind of want, okay, just, you know, scare us, tell us scary stories. Right. And I do that too. Um, but I tend to temper the, what I do is I kind of set up all of the quote unquote evidence that I get by saying my personal belief is that I want to be taken seriously in this field 
And in order, in my opinion, to be taken seriously, I have to tell you that 99%, if not a bit higher, stuff that's currently out there is BS. It's exaggerated. Yeah. There are people that are exaggerating things or possibly just lying. Or flat out um, faking. Flat out faking. Simple. And, you know, and I also openly say I believe in ghosts, but I don't know what they are. I don't know how they're capable of doing the things they do. And I personally believe until the point where we actually capture one in a jar and we can show it to everybody that nobody knows really what a ghost is. They have personal beliefs yeah. and some might even be true. But to go around saying that you know exactly what a ghost is, what it's comprised of, what it can do, what it can't do, how it can interact, I, I don't think that's being truthful. And that there might be another reason why I don't get invited to uh, yeah, paranormal not, conventions. Yeah, but what I do is after I say all of that, I then say, I'm going to show you some stuff that I can't explain. Yeah, Can't tell you it's a ghost because I don't know what it is. All I'm going to do is, Set the stage, tell you what was going on, and then play this. And if you guys walk away saying, I don't believe in ghosts still, that's cool because you weren't there, and I don't expect you to be able to just see something and suddenly believe. You haven't had that personal experience. But what I would like is, tell me what happened here. What was the normal yeah. thing that caused it? And I've yet to have anybody do that. So that's the part where people are like, that was some creepy stuff because you were talking about how all this stuff isn't real and you don't really believe in half the stuff that you see. And then you showed us that stuff. And man, that's crazy. Yeah. It, but it's, it's that 1% that keeps you going and looking when you get that one strange thing that you have debunked from all corners of everything, everywhere, whatever it, that's, I think what keeps people interested. Well, we were talking about record store day a few minutes ago. And when I, I was talking about being in line and waiting there, some of the folks I was, we were just having a conversation and we were talking about stuff we did. And I'm like, you know, something came up. I try to kind of keep the paranormal stuff at bay nowadays, but something came up about ghosts and whatnot. I'm like, Oh, I do this podcast uh, called ghostly talk. Of course, I don't have any stickers on me, <laughs> but here, you know, and one of the young ladies I was talking to, she's like, oh, my God, you, you do a podcast on ghosts? I'm like, well, you know, it's, we talk about that. And she's like, all right, tell me some creepy stuff that you've seen. Oh. You, know, and, you know, and that's cool. <laughs> no, no, that's super cool. I mean, there's not a thing wrong with that. It, I mean, in conversation, um, you know, that's, that's what happens, and I understand it. And I, what, I, what made me think about this is exactly what you're saying, though, because one of the things I, and I say all the time when I'm having a conversation with somebody is, I mean, and this is true. I'm like, okay, over 20 years of, of looking at this stuff, you know, as a hobby, basically, being out in the field here and there doing stuff, I can count on one hand of things that I would consider anomalous that I've, that I've experienced, seen, or felt, right? And that's, in all that time, that's all I've really ever, I, I can put down that I have some type of documentation on, or... I'm convinced I was I, I I was I experienced something anomalous that I can't explain. So it's the same idea. I think that's why a lot of people, you know, maybe we're a little too vocal about that here on this show too, especially nowadays. Because yeah, I think a lot of the stuff that I see out there, you know, especially with the media and especially with the way media works nowadays, it's very easy just to push anything out there and claim that it's some type of you know, anomalous thing when it really isn't. I think it's very easy to fake stuff now. It's easier now to fake stuff than it was even 10 years ago. So I think people, I think people just want this idea 
People want to be entertained, I think, James. I, I guess that's yeah, what it comes down to. They totally do. And, and there's not a thing wrong with that. I think that's really great. People just want to be want to maybe forget about their life for a short time and and be scared by a scary ghost story or something like that. But when you do this for an amount of time, especially like yourself, I know for a fact that this isn't what that's about to you. It's not about being scared. It's about trying to understand what I believe, you know, what we've learned here, maybe on this show recently, that this may just be some kind of force of nature we're dealing with. But we don't know. I don't know what that is. Um, and that's what I right. think you're trying to learn here, not just trying to have the shit scared out of you, basically. Yeah, and I think that the, I think you're exactly right. And I feel that a large portion of the people that do come to these conventions, they do want to be entertained. They want the scary story. And that's where, you know, I don't, I never push when people are like, well, will you speak at this? I, I know that, you know, what I'm hoping they want is they want the ghost stuff so that I can actually at least then kind of, infuse that belief that here's the stuff I can't explain, but here's the other stuff that I can still yeah. giving them that big scare. I mean, the one story that, um, if you have time for a story, there's this Absolutely. one story that I tell, sure. which when the event happened, so see you guys, maybe the listeners, this is the, the, the big story that nobody has been able to figure out. And, and I have no idea what it is either. And the, the odd thing is that, Going back to me, you know, getting amped up and telling stories and things like that. This story, when the event actually happened, I walked away from it going, oh, that was kind of weird. And that was it. And then I, it didn't work its way into my presentations. It didn't, you know, like I say, I update all of my presentations every year. So it's, you're looking at probably each year, there's probably like 75% new stuff in every, regardless of the presentation. But this never made it into anything. And then at one presentation, somebody said to me, and it was a ghost presentation, but somebody said, what was one of the weirdest things that ever happened to you? And I, this story popped into my head. And when I told it, the hair went up on my arms and I was like, holy crap, this is scary. <laughs> and it's now become part of all of my presentations when people are like, so... What was the scariest thing? Because I can't, I can't explain it. There were multiple. So I'll make a long story somewhat short. But we were at um, Waverly Hills. The, um, yeah, Louisville. Which, sure, most of your listeners are probably at least familiar. But yeah. an old, you know, now uh, abandoned TB hospital. And when we went down there, um, we had rented the building out for us and uh, my ghost group. So that there was probably maybe just like ten or twelve of us in the whole building. And what I like to do when I go down to these, you know, big places that we're getting locked inside of for the night is to just say, okay, if I want to, the best chance of experiencing something ghostly, where do I go and what should I do? So they told me, they said, well, what you should do is go up to the fourth floor because a lot of people have reported seeing doppelgangers up there. The whole idea of like a, like a double. I mean, I'm sure you guys know that, but it, you know, it's the, yeah. the idea that, you know, you're walking around and you see a friend and they're not floating. They have their head, you know, they're just kind of standing there and you're like, Hey, what's up? And sometimes they talk, other times they don't, but you later find out like five minutes later, that guy's like nowhere near this building. So it's the idea that just the ghost or the spirit or something is disguising itself for whatever reason as another person. So they said there's supposedly doppelgangers up on the fourth floor 
And then they also made reference to um, the Shadow Man. And I came to find out later that this was something that had, I had never heard of it before, um, being in this particular building, that I believe somebody said that it came from um, Ghost Adventures, that they had just gone through and they had brought this up. But they said that the Shadow Man was this, you know, shadow figure. It looked human except you could just see, you know, the arms and legs. It was just all black. And that it crawled around on its hands and knees. Yeah. And here comes the nightmare fuel <laughs> on the ceiling. <laughs> so they said, if you want to go up to the fourth floor, you know, you got your doppelganger. And that's also where this shadow man, which they nicknamed the creeper, that's where he was, which whenever I tell this, I always think of the old Scooby-Doo with the creeper. But um, <laughs> anyway, so I was like, okay, well, if we if I want to see the creeper, what do I do? So they said, when you go up to the fourth floor, you get in a small group. The group goes to one end of the hallway, and this is just it's a it's a long like patient wing. So it's just a hallway with like open doorways on the left and right. They're just the frames. Of, there are no doors there. They just open into to rooms. And they said you get the small group. They go down to one end of the, the hallway, and you get one person, the bait to go to the other end of the hallway and you turn off all the lights and you stand facing each other. And then if you're lucky, the creeper will come creeping up on the ceiling behind the one person. No, nah, no thanks. So well, say, so I was like, okay, I'll be the bait. <laughs> you know, I don't care. So, so here, here's, here's what, uh, no, it's not like Jersey Shore. Here's the situation. So <laughs> we, I go up to the, I feel really old now. Um, <laughs> So we go up to the fourth floor, and I'm with, there's four of us. There's two other guys, a girl, and then myself. The two guys and the girl go down to one end of the hallway, and they look facing towards me. One of the uh, the guys, which we'll get to in a second, but you might remember he's our our actual scientist, Mark. He was the one who used to bring all our gadgets. Yeah, yeah all I All these him. conventions, yeah. So he's one of them. Um so the three of them go to one end of the hallway and they turn facing me. So what I'm doing is I go to the other end of the hallway. I turn and I face them. I've got this, it sounds cheesy, but it's really cool. You know, I've got my headlamp on, but I always have it tilted down. So it kind of just like illuminates in front of me. So I don't blind people when I turn it on. Yeah. So I'm standing there. I face them. I have a video camera that I put down on the floor between my legs I stand up, I click the, my headlamp off, and I just cross my arms, and I stand there. Yeah. All right? You with me? Yeah. So, after about 20 minutes, I don't feel weird. I don't hear anything. I can, you know, I can make out their shadows at the end of the hallway, but it's just nothing. I don't feel anything. And then I hear one of them say, where did he go? And I hear another one of them say, I think he went in that room over there. And then I hear, James? And I said, yeah. And then I heard, oh, shit, that wasn't him. Oh. So here it comes. I'll say it slow. <laughs> you guys can help me sleep at night. Um, Mark, the scientist guy, and the girl both described seeing exactly what I am going to tell you right now. The third guy claimed he didn't see anything, but he actually quit the group shortly thereafter. So I have no idea how 
he could have seen none of this, even if it was totally different from what the other two saw. But he claimed he didn't see anything, which makes no sense. Maybe that's he was why one he quit. Of the people talking. Yeah. <laughs> so what they said is that after watching me standing in the darkened hallway for about 20 minutes, I turned on my headlamp, illuminating my entire body. I bent down, picked up my camera, turned to my left, and walked into one of the patient rooms, leaving a totally empty hallway. Guys, I never moved. I never moved. Wow. You said you stood there with your arms crossed for like 20 minutes, right? Yeah. And, and the, weird, the thing that I asked is I was like, well, how did I come back? And what they both said, which makes sense, is they, they, they didn't think there was anything weird going on. They thought I had gotten bored and just, you know, taking my ball and going home. You know, and I turned on my light, picked up my camera and left. And so when they said, where did he go? And they were like, I think he went in that room over there. Their line of sight, which had been looking right at me, but it's now an empty hallway, turned to their right, and they were looking at the doorway that they thought that I walked into. And when they called out my name, they thought I was going to, like, yell back and go, yeah, I'm in here, I'm bored, or whatever. But when I went, yeah, they looked, they looked back to where that voice came from in the middle of the hallway, and I was standing there again. Oh, that's trippy. So did you feel anything strange in that time you were standing there? No, felt absolutely nothing. And and what's even weirder about it is that, you know, because somebody asked me and I was like, no, there wasn't. It's a great point. There were no, like, time slips or any of right. that. I mean, it felt boring. It felt nothing. You know, and what, where, what helps me now sleep at night is I'm convinced that whatever happened, it happened to them. Yeah. Because I didn't move. And so I think if it was messing with their heads or something like that, it did it. The part that's the weirdest, even weirder that, you know, I disappeared is that I turned my light on. Like they said they could see me. It wasn't like my shadow moved where you could be like, you guys were just tired. I didn't. Yeah. I, my whole body lit up. <sighs> yeah, no, that's you, these big these big places. <laughs> these big places like this seem to have doppelganger issues. Um, Mansfield has doppelganger issues. Remember Chris telling us about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had that. We had something similar happen to one of our friends at Mansfield Reformatory, where um, parts of his group could have swore they saw him somewhere else, and then all of a sudden they turn around and there he is. Like what? And. Um, yeah, I, that is trippy. But, yeah, I mean, how do you reconcile that? What do you do with that? You know, you trust these people I, that saw it and experienced it. You're not going to doubt them. Yeah. So it just, yeah, it becomes anomalous um, and something you can talk about as, like, meh. I don't know what it was, but it was something. Yeah, it, exactly. Because what, was it ghostly? Was it, you know, was it yeah. a time slip? What, what, I have no idea what it was. But to me... That, if nothing else, I kind of just look at that and I'm like, there's my proof that there's something we don't understand. Yeah. Well, <laughs> because yeah. I don't understand this. So that means we don't know everything. Well, and just analyzing this again, the fact that you felt nothing and your associates, Mark, uh, they saw something completely different. I can't understand that. Yeah. I just can't understand that. That's not a bad thing in any way whatsoever. Um, but 
Oh, excuse me. Jeez. Sorry. Are you going to make it? Oh, I'm falling apart here. <laughs> uh, that's the part I just don't. And that's what this is. That's what this, you know, you can't explain that, right? You can't put your finger on what happened. You can only tell that story, to, you know, to us, for example, and we can just, you know, we can discuss it a little bit. And we're not going to walk away from this with anything new, really. It's something that you experienced and other people experienced, right? And, you know, yeah, we're going to spend, I'm sure you've spent plenty of time, James, thinking this thing through, trying to understand what the hell happened to you that night. But I don't think... Yeah, but it it makes everything that I come up with, it's like, well, maybe it was this, but that doesn't explain everything that happened. And the fact that there are other individuals who... I mean, Mark has been interviewed about it, like, you know, separate from me. And it's, you know, the stories still match up as to what happened. And that's, like I said, those are the little nuggets that you walk away from by saying, you know, there is something out there. That's the stuff that we're actually looking to try to figure out what it is. But I don't, I don't think we ever will because that just hurts my head. Trying to even no, think it, about it. Well, and that's the thing. Like we we're on this quest. I think a lot of us are. I know I am. To try to understand things like, you know, what we're talking about right now, like what what's really going on here. But I also think about, you know, being faced with something that I don't understand, whether it's a thing or a being. Right. And I'm faced with that now. How do you deal? Like, let's let's think about that for a second and, and put ourselves in a situation where let's just say we came face to face with something. Right. You know, and I'm not, you know, I don't know how I'm going to respond to that. Fight or flight's a really weird thing. You know, you spend all these years, <laughs> you spend all these years studying something going, well, you know, this is what I'm going to do when this, if this happens. But our bodies are this weird machine, this weird biomechanical furnace, right? That we don't, even we don't really understand fully to this point with all the science behind us. We still don't understand how our bodies truly work. Yep. Um, yep. You know, for people listening to this show too, what would you do? You know, I mean, that's a, that's an interesting idea, like something like this, because, James, you may have been face to face with something like that. And you didn't I mean, you didn't know it because we don't understand yeah. what the hell this thing is. Apparently, something was happening all around you in that situation and you didn't know. And, and, it. I, and I was oblivious. To yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, and that doesn't that doesn't mean that anybody. I mean, that's just what it was. We don't understand this stuff. And, and that seems to go with the fact that some people seem to be more attuned to things than others where you're in a haunted location and someone sees something someone else doesn't. Because I don't know, it's, there's a little switch in people's brains that are either turned on or they're not turned on or something or your tinfoil hat isn't on right. And that, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know why some people see stuff and experience stuff and why some people don't. It's weird. Well, yeah. That's the power. That's when you said, like, the body hasn't been, like, we don't even understand the body. We don't even begin. To, we can't, the mind, the brain, like, everything going on there. The, our, our minds, our bodies, even the the world around us, yeah. where there's, there's parts of this world we don't understand, we've never been to, we can't explain it. Uh, so it, 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 what we're doing now what we well, I know what you've been doing for decades also James is I think probably one of the most difficult things because you know at least with studying the body there is something to work with well and, and <laughs> we this, don't have shit to work with here this is a great segue too to our last topic with James cryptids Ding. it's not a segue if it's, you say well, it's a segue well sorry it's like Radio 101. Oh, oh wait, but before we do, I, I, I forgot. I didn't yeah. put the uh, the UFO story to bed because oh. see, 
the other b- really big thing that that people kind of yeah a lot of people don't even realize about Ohio is that Project Blue Book originated and was housed at Wright Patterson oh. in near Dayton, Ohio. Yeah. Oh, really? If, if you look at the most famous UFO crashes you can think of, including Roswell, eventually you will find the fact that whatever was found, even if it was just debris, it went to right path. Yep, yep, so, that's true. So the, uh, the Roswell crash, whatever you think that was, there is declassified stuff that does, you know, and I, I mean declassified, but it's, it's redacted left and right, but um, that does show that whatever was recovered, that something was recovered there, and it was taken to right path. Um, the Kecksburg UFO that crashed in Pennsylvania, and all these people actually looked down in the, in the holler, I believe is the official term, you know, and actually saw this thing sitting there, and the governor came in and took it, and it was like, no, it was a meteor. That went to right path. Yeah. If you look up any famous UFO crash that involves potential debris, it made its way to right path. And that's why um, the main reason was because Project Blue Book was there, and it was also because, I, I don't know if it's still current, but for many years, um, Wright Pat had a special division that they would basically see if they could reverse engineer anything that fell from the sky. And anything that fell from the sky that was, you ready, alien to us. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily that it came from other planets, but because it fell out of the sky and we don't know what this is, so it's alien to us. Can you guys put it back together to see if, like, the Germans are spying on us or something like that? So that's where that whole idea originated from. But anything weird that fell out of the sky that was unidentified, it made its way to Wright-Patterson in Ohio. Wow. Yay, Ohio. (laughs) I'm never making fun of Ohio ever again. Ohio's super cool now. (laughs) I thought you were the only thing cool in Ohio, James. That's what I've been saying. I only only know one person in Ohio, and it's James who's cool. But there's a lot more going on, obviously. So, yeah, you are. (laughs) Yeah, there is. I mean, it's like a... That onion, once you peel back that first layer, man, there's all kinds of crazy stuff hiding in here. I think if you really spent some time with Delaware, for example, we'd probably find some very interesting stuff. Well, there's a lot of history in Delaware. But Delaware still is another one of those places. Like You, you think? Don't, yeah, I really like Delaware. I'm going to vacation in Delaware. <laughs> like no, said no one ever. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, and I'm not saying anything bad. Okay, I'm, if someone out there listens and you live in Delaware nope. and you have a really cool story, send it to us. Yeah. And <laughs> to prove Scott wrong. Don't be mad at us either. We're just kidding around. So, yeah, Amber mentioned a minute ago that you're working on, you're tracking reports of all cryptids across Ohio since the 1850s I to the this. present day to determine yep. if there are any trends. Um, you know, everything from the same cryptid showing up in different locations to there being a huge uptick in water monsters being sighted right around the time that movies like the creature from the black, black lagoon hit. Now that to me is interesting because I've always, you know, always found the, that fascinating, uh, marriage with, you know, cryptid sightings and a lot of stuff we see in Hollywood. And there you have same it. Same right with UFOs. Yeah, UFOs well, yeah. do the same thing. Well, Hollywood. UFO movies. Yeah. It's a lot of this. You know, you see a lot of whatever the subject may be. It always emulates in, in, in media, especially in movies, too. But you mentioned Creature from the Black, Black Lagoon, for example. Um, is there is there any stories around this to kind of give this some water, for lack of a better term? 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, there are. I mean, there's a lot of actual stories, and that's what I found most fascinating. And I think that it also kind of validated my spending countless hours watching really bad horror movies. <laughs> is that when you start looking at a lot of and and you're exactly right too. It's not just with cryptids, and it's it's not it's across the board with UFOs. But you can even go back to um, like The Exorcist. Right after that came out, everybody thought they were possessed, you know. So yeah. it, so there's a lot of, as I'm tracking them across, what I've been doing is I started with Ohio. And if it was any sort of monster-like creature, I had to draw the line at like giant snakes. Because when talking with people, they were like, well, it's technically just a big snake. You know, even though it's really, really, really big. But um, so other than that, if there was any sort of cryptid sighting in Ohio, I plotted those out. So I spent, that's well, probably going on three years going through all of the newspaper archives and finding all of those stories. And then once I had pretty much what I thought was every sighting that I was aware of or a big enough sort of uh, database of that, yeah. then I overlaid all of the big popular horror movies. The problem though with that is there were a lot of really bad horror movies that made it to like double features that all of a sudden you'd look and you were like, well, where did this like dinosaur creature come from? And you would find that there was a really cheesy, you know, double feature that had, you know, dinosaurs running around it and stuff. So there, um, the interesting thing about the creature from the black lagoon is that those creatures kind of spread outside of just Ohio so it was kind of like if there was a, a regional horror movie, it would stay within Ohio. But Creature from the Black Lagoon, there were all sorts of sightings, if you will. Um, not so much sightings, but they felt it. Um, a lot of ones all through Indiana of um, mainly women that were like swimming in a lake and then all of a sudden like felt like a, a yes. hand, a webbed yeah. hand grabbed them. Yeah. Gross. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's, they're, they're not stories that you could actually verify because you know a lot of these sightings were more that they had felt something or they were so old that you know they didn't have their cell phone with them so they couldn't take the obligatory you know blurry picture (laughs) so it was mainly going by word of mouth um so that got kind of hard to track down um the one in ohio that just like pops out of nowhere for me that Yet another reason why I love Ohio is that they've got all of the normal sort of cryptids, but then when it comes, you know, they kind of aren't happy with that. So they've got their own unique um, cryptids. And my all-time favorite one is the Loveland Frog, that when you first hear the story, you're like, come on. But um, it began in, some people will say it's in the 1950s. We'll go back to that. It was actually in the 1970s, 1972. And about a week and a half apart from each other, these two guys were driving along uh, in Loveland, Ohio, and they were right, driving on the road that's uh, near the Little Miami River. And they both claimed that they saw this. The original reports had it at man size. It's since shrunk to four foot over the years. But this half man, half frog creature that walked on two legs. And you sit there and you're like, yeah, whatever. You know, I mean, there's like a giant frogman running around. But here's a trippy part to the story. Those two individuals that started the week and a half apart from each other, 
were both police officers. Oh, really? The second guy, the second officer actually shot at it because, and I would have done the same thing. He was driving along the road in the middle of the night, came around the corner, and there was this thing laying in the road, and he thought that it was just like a dog or somebody hit a deer. And so he stopped in the road with his headlights on, and he got out, and this thing stood up. And so he shot at it. Um, that makes you all of a sudden go, wait a second, there's some weird going on, you know? <laughs> um, so anytime you've got police officers that are actually willing to stand up and say, yeah, there was a giant frog creature, <laughs> that kind of gets me a little excited, you know? Um, the reports of it being in the 50s, um, which I originally had heard, but when I started to dig into that, it's a different monster altogether, um, which is really, really weird because they actually originally referred to it as the trolls because they were under a bridge. Mm. But there were multiple sightings of this, and in one of the reports, they were all standing there, and one of them held up like this blue wand that sparks started flying out of. So now you're like, is this a cryptid? Is this a UFO? Is this an alien? What's going on here? And those reports, some of those actually tie into the Hopkinsville goblins in oh, Kentucky. It's cool. right around the same time. So you're like, what's going on in this area during this time period? And there was no giant frogman movie at the point. Yeah. There was never, there had to be a giant frogman movie. We got to find it. The only ones that I can really find that are that are talk about it is, and I forget the name of it, but it's where they, uh, it was more tied into the '60s, where it was the the mutated stuff, you know, when the nuclear yeah. atomic bomb goes off and everything, you know, the ants and everything grow to like epic proportions and stuff. But I, I've never found a a frog creature like that. But you're right, there's probably something fitting gotta out there. Got to be somewhere out there. Go ahead, Amber. James, what's the earliest cryptid you found in the newspapers? I, I know when I've gone through and looked in Michigan, I find a lot of accounts of the, the wild men, uh, where someone yes. would, I don't know if that was kind of an Ohio thing, but people would basically report these guys that were, you know, probably a little nuts, living in the woods, naked, hairy. Uh, I, I don't know, sometimes if people were confusing them for an actual, potentially like a real Bigfoot sighting, or I, I don't know, but I don't know if you encountered what. So, what was the earliest? Yeah, I mean that's a great point because the um, the earliest report that I've had of any sort of, we'll call it a creature, and you're exactly right. It's it's the uh, the wild man. Yeah. And the earliest one, hang on, I'll pull it up right now. The earliest one is 1869. Oh, is cool. the first wild man is the earliest wild man report that I have in Ohio. But you're exactly right because it is a it, it's a crazy man. Yeah, it, it doesn't have the um, sort of Bigfoot like features that you would expect. And the other interesting thing is that right around the first time where there is the Bigfoot sightings, where they actually sort of sort of name him, not in Ohio, but when you've actually got that famous um, oh, it's going to escape now. The Bluff Creek. Oh, the the um, the, I'm calling it Zap Ruder. That's Kennedy. The uh, yeah, a, yeah um, <laughs> the the Bigfoot footage. There's the the Patlin, uh, Patterson, Patterson, Gimlin. No, not not that, that one? one. But oh. it's the um, that was over in. There was one that was actually in. Hang on, I'll pull it up. 
it was in the 40s. Oh, this is even um, earlier. And where he is, I know, let me get him here. I'm going to dig it up here. But as I'm digging through it, it was, it's considered to be the first time that they actually used the name Bigfoot. Okay. However, it was called, it was called that because he left, it was a bunch of loggers, I believe, that were out there and they were trying to frighten their one friend about there being this giant monster that had big feet going out there. And it's since been uh, pretty much said that they admitted that they went and kind of ran around with these sort of cast things and made these giant feet. But the guy went to the newspaper with it. And it's the first report that I can find where they refer to it as a Bigfoot. But it's two words. Okay. So it's not Bigfoot. It's one word. It's Bigfoot, two words. And the cartoon that they put next to it, it's a caveman. It looks more like Alley Oop from the old cartoons yeah. as opposed to, and he's got he's even got a club. So it's not like it's this Bigfoot creature that we've come to kind of known and love. But I did notice that the Bigfoot-like sightings around that time in the 40s in Ohio, all of a sudden it was no longer a wild man. It grew to be a bigger person, uh. like he was seven foot tall, and he had big feet. Okay. It wasn't until right around the Patterson Gilman Gilman footage that they actually started calling it Bigfoot here in Ohio and that it kind of had that sort of uh looking like this chewy from Star Wars right. sort of thing as opposed to just being a guy with like unkempt hair. Yeah. But I've also found what I think are um Bigfoot sightings within Ohio all the way up to like the uh um, Minerva Monster is a popular one that pops up. And if you read the accounts of it, um, there's not really, it, it was from the 1978, but when you read the accounts, it clearly sounds like a Bigfoot, but it's never called that. And years later, I found an article when they asked the homeowners, because they were actually seeing this thing in their woods and there was an old, like a strip mine behind their property. And this thing would actually like, walk up to their windows at night and stuff. So there were multiple sightings, which um, when you look at it, it's Bigfoot. But when they asked them years later, they were like, do you think it was a Bigfoot? And if so, why didn't you call it that? And the family to a member was like, we didn't know what a Bigfoot was. Yeah. We just called it the thing or the hairy thing. So it's, it's going back to it's almost once popular culture starts coming in that you've got it kind of, having a manipulating what reality is, I guess all of a sudden you've got, Oh, well, they sighted a Bigfoot and it looked like this. Maybe that's what I saw. And all of a sudden the feet and the thing that you saw grow to epic proportions and those sort of things. So well, everybody wants to one up um, each again, other. People love to tell great stories, you know, and that's where you may yeah. get that. People just passing that along. We've heard that, that idea over and over again, people just passing stories, uh, you know, over and over again along. Um, people will always exaggerate things. And that's where you may have gotten to where we are now with what the Bigfoot is. I mean, I've heard reports of a Bigfoot being over 10 foot tall or the Sasquatch, whatever you want to call it. That's just Yeah, and that's what's always been fascinating to me is that when I went back and found that Bigfoot sighting and then saw what it, because the initial Bigfoot sighting didn't have any, it just had the footprints. There was no report about yeah. it having you know, being hair, because they didn't see it. All they found were these footprints. 
but I did also talk over the years to a lot of um, Sasquatch hunters, we'll call them. And I've always, so this is like off the record because they never wanted to actually, you know, go on record as saying this, <laughs> but that's why a lot of these cryptid people stop referring to it as Bigfoot. And now it's Sasquatch because Bigfoot has become so attached to uh, beef jerky and right. monster trucks and Harry and the Henderson yep. and silly kind of stuff like that, that that's all silliness, but Sasquatch, if that's real. So I, I, I think that's kind of interesting. Well, too. It's fair too. I mean, I, most of those people and, We've been looking enough to talk to a lot of people of that sort. They want to be taken seriously. They they really do. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, yeah, the the term Bigfoot really has, you know, when you, I think of Bigfoot now, I mean, the first thing I think of is the monster truck. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> me, yeah. You know? it's, it's, yeah. It's a brand for God's sake. It, it's not some it's yeah. not something that we're trying to understand and trying to find. It's a brand. It's not. It's not what. It used to be, I think. Um, and I think the term Sasquatch Correct. doesn't, yeah, doesn't you're apply. exactly right. I think it does apply uh, a lot better to that situation. So, James, I have to say thank you so much for joining us. Um, we, oh, yeah, thank we, you. Yeah, we it's really went my over. Pleasure. We yeah. usually do like an hour, um, but I just We try to rein it in. And, but when people are easy to talk to, like you, James, yeah. Yeah, yeah We man. can just keep going all night. No, Eight hour special. No, seriously, thank you. It's been. I know it's been a long time, and I, I've been meaning to catch up with you for a while here. And uh, just to come on here and have a chat. We really need to get together sometime, though. I really like to come and hang out with you guys sometime. Or, I mean, there's got to be some We conference. do. I mean, you can, we got the room down here. You just say the word, man. You guys pull up. We'll take you out and show you all kinds of I know we talked about yeah, weird we got to go to Ohio. I know we've talked about that. You know, and, you know I really could use a getaway this summer, Amber. We, we go to Ohio. We're, we're going to go to a beautiful Ohio. <laughs> you know, let me, we're going to talk about that. Because I really would like to get away just for, a, you know, a, just a, a, a quick jaunt. You're only a couple hours away from us here. Uh, just come down there and just check some stuff out. That would be really cool, yeah. man. I'd love to do that. So, uh, yeah, you know what? Let's talk about that here down the like, – like quickly. I'll, I'll get with you on that, actually. I mean, I'm dead serious. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to no, say No, no, keep me posted, man. Yeah. yeah, and I mean because there's, you know, some of the stuff that we are um, – the, these long-term cases that we've been working on, I mean, I have access to – the buildings whenever I want. And the, the best part about them for me is they're both libraries. <laughs> oh, oh. oh, Amber's dork. Oh. Me, Amber's dork alert just went on like really, well, really I work high, in yeah. libraries. Yeah. She's like, really? No, that's well, Amber's thing. Well, see here's, well, I'll give you this to chew on then because we, um, we have, um, Samantha, one of the girls in the group, she's actually a librarian as well. So we have, we're trying different approaches where, at this one library, and we historically confirmed all this, and it's got you like this because we'll get the music, um, but we confirmed with uh, all of this that the very first uh, Lida, the very first librarian there, she was actually murdered. She was shot and killed in the building. That's horrible. And the, the, it gets even weirder because... Um, we did confirm that. We also found that her son, it was in right around the uh, turn of the century, 1902, I think. And her eight-year-old son was there as well. And we found all that documentation. We found all this stuff. And then we were like, but what's going to happen? Because the, there is a library still there, but it's not the library. 
she was actually shot and killed on the second floor. The building was torn down, and this library, which is only one story, was put in the same place. Okay. Um, so we were like, well, how is that going to work? But then I came across, because we love this, when I was doing all the research, I found out that her eight-year-old son actually became a like a, a like a vaudeville kind of you know in, in the twenties and yeah. stuff, and he did he was a banjo player, did singing and stuff like that, and I found a an old seventy-eight on eBay with him on it. Oh wow! And I've got a nineteen I've got a nineteen twenty-six Victrola. So what I did was I recorded it. And then when we went out and did the investigation, we we oh, said everything you're just up. Dirty. We were like, "You're dirty, What's James. That? Wow, you. I know what you're. I know what you're. You're getting to, and I'm like, "Wow, you're dirty. Go, keep going, <laughs> keep, keep talking." So we said, you know, we we set everything up, and we said, you know, we got together as a group, and we had the two other librarians that actually work at that library, and we were like, you know, Lida, if you're wondering why we're here, you know, if you're part of this building, we want to hear your story. Um, we don't know if you know what happened to your son, but he actually, you know, he turned out okay. He made a career for himself and we'd like to play some of his music for you. And so we played the music. We piped it through the PA and we, we locked out the building and we went to dinner and we came back and it didn't really seem that anything was going on that particular night. But when we went back and listened to the uh, and we we just use studio mics too. We don't that are hardwired or mixing board. We don't really do the digital thing anymore because they pick up all kinds of weird stuff. They but do. on the studio microphone in this back corner where they had reported hearing books drop, there is this banging noise, and then you hear like footsteps on a wooden floor, but it's not wood in that area, and we're like, it sounds like a door, like an old wooden door opening and closing, but there's nothing there. It's just bookshelves in the back corner. And when we played it for the librarians, they were like, that's weird. Cause that kind of sounds like the noise we hear. And we think that it's books dropping, you know, falling down. And we were like, what the hell? It doesn't make any sense. There's no door around here. And the ones that are, yeah. aren't wooden. We went back and looked at the pictures of, and the uh, paintings of the old building in the original building, there was a door there, an oh, old wooden it. door. I love it. Because that's like, are you recording the past somehow? That's Yeah, see, that's where it gets weird. That's it's even like, trippier than dealing with dead people. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, and I knew, you know, taking that taking that media there and using that in that sense, that's, that's I love that idea. Just to, because, you, you know, to try to stir something up, right? And just on that thought thread of that, um, you know, that may have stirred something up, you know, and I'm, again, I'm just shooting in the dark here. But, no, you know. but I mean, it, it seemed, you know, would we have gotten that noise? And so what we did is we've gone back and played that and done the same exact thing and we don't get anything, you know, but yeah. we've also gone back and at various times I have, um, speaking about doppelgangers, this is even weirder because at that particular library, um, we heard, I heard when I was sitting in the, this one room where this male um, librarian claims he hears in his office, he says that he hears his name being called. So I was sitting in there and I'm not hearing anything or something. You know, and I'm like, okay, that was the, the building settling. That was this. And I hear Wendy, one of the other investigators, laugh. 
And so you hear me say, okay, that was, you know, that was Wendy laughing in the other room. And about a half hour later, I got up and went in and basically you're walking through three rooms to get where Wendy is. And I'm like, there's nothing really going on here. And she was sitting alone looking at the monitors and she was like, yeah, there's nothing going on either. And I was like, what were you laughing at? She was like, I wasn't laughing. I was like, yeah, you did. And I actually went back and did the audio. The studio mic that was sitting right next to me picked up absolutely nothing. You, and you hear there's dead silence. And then you hear me go, that's Wendy laughing in the other room. But wow. it's not on there. Huh. The other studio microphone, which is yeah. on the other side of the room, even further away, you hear what sounds a little like Wendy laughing really loud. Um, we went and cause we'd make imprints of everybody's voices, both whispering and talking before each investigation. So we can get voice patterns. It's a good idea. It's not Wendy. It's not Wendy laughing. Wow. What the heck, man? I want to go. I want to go. Well, yeah, we really, if you would have us. James, <laughs> uh, oh yeah. Yeah. I think it would be great. I mean, especially since, I mean, you're a librarian. So, I mean, right? we've, and the other place we get crazy stuff that goes on there as well, where um, we don't know who's, or we don't know who's at either one of these, but we get um, voices that again come through a studio microphone, and there's and you're looking because we usually have three recording devices in each area. So if we get something on a studio mic, there's at least another studio mic in the area facing towards it, yeah, to or more than likely also an infrared video camera. Yeah. And you're getting voices that only appear on one mic, and it sounds like it's right up on the mic, but there's nobody in the room or and sometimes not even on the floor. Oh, it's the best. How the hell does that happen? Yeah. Because they're hardwired into the mixing board. Yeah. We've heard things where it sounds like some... You know, that was an idea we had years ago uh, about EVP or recording voices, whatever you want to call it that sometimes whatever it may be actually might be manipulating the device itself. That's why it sounds yeah. like it's right, if not up on the device, like the microphone, for example, it sounds like it may be in the microphone. It's it's a real bizarre thing, and I've heard sound. We, we have a recording like that where it sounds like it's 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 so close. It's overpowering the voices in the background like like tenfold. It's, it's really weird. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I know, I know I, exactly what you mean though, because we've gotten those too, and it's just on one microphone. And if there are other people talking, it comes over the top of them. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it does. It just overpowers everything. Like somebody walked up to the microphone where when everybody was talking and just said, "Hey, hello," whatever they were saying. It's a very. Uh, I've heard that before. Can't really, you know. I, well, we can explain it. Obviously, we're explaining where it is, but I, you know, we obviously can't explain what it really is. It's bizarre. So I think we are due for a weekend here, James. It sounds like you've, you, <laughs> Amber, sitting here like feverishly writing notes, which means she's her her gears are turning. Um, so that means we're going to have to we'll have a conversation here in a, in a couple of days if you if you're cool with that and maybe figure out a way yeah. we can all get together that'd be totally cool just to hang just to see you guys would be fantastic too that'd be just as awesome for me as just to say hello to you guys and hang out for for a day or so it'd be really nice so cool oh no I, doubt no doubt like I said we got plenty of room the other thing is if you can't make it during the summer um I do. Um, it's become a yearly thing, and this is even like crazier, but it's at um, the author James Thurber's house in Columbus. Okay. And 
he did a short story. It's like three pages um, about when he lived in the house as a teenager, and it's called The Night the Ghost Got In. And he actually named, you know, he, it's basically a, a short story, and he um, talks about that he just, it was the middle of the night, he was taking a bath, he just got out of the tub, and then he heard, like, these footsteps, like, walking around the dining room table, and then all of a sudden, the steps, the steps, footsteps came running up the stairs towards him and it totally like freaked him out. And, um, one of the books I was working on, I contacted them and I was like, did that really happen? And they were like, it did. He embellished some of this stuff, but he really thought that that night he actually encountered a ghost. So the weird thing is that the very first line of the story is the night that got into, uh, the, the ghost that got into our house on the night of November 17th. So I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to look that up, and I bet <laughs> something happened there. And so I looked at November 17th up, and the building hadn't been, the house hadn't been there for that long, but nothing happened in the history of it. So I'm like, well, shit. But then the next paragraph of the story is they began about a quarter past one o'clock in the morning, and I was like, well, okay, maybe that's the 18th then. So I went back and did research and found that on, in the early morning hours of November 18th, prior to the Thurber House standing, it was the site of the Columbus Mental Asylum. Oh, and early, what? Uh, wow. I'm not done yet. Yeah, and it burnt down to the ground in the early morning hours of November 18th. And there are reports of patients, unfortunately, running around in circles on fire. Holy, that is, wow. I mean, not awesome for them, so, but that's no, cool no, this, history. This might be, that's, I don't want to see you guys in the summer, but um, for the past two years, and I'll be doing it again, I don't know what date November 17th is, what day of the week it is, but the Thurber House allows me to go there. They do it as a fundraiser where I take they do a they do a raffle. They get all the money for that. But the contest winner and a guest get to go with me. And at the time where Thurber had his experience, we put them in the same exact spot. Oh wow! To see if they can encounter anything. The first year we had two dickheads who didn't really want to be there. I'm not sure we got nothing. Last year we had people that were really excited to be there. And going back to what we were talking about, you know, that I mean, is it picking up on the vibe or something? Yeah. They actually said, after they were there for their session, they came downstairs and they were like, were you guys, like, moving in the dining room? Which is where he heard the footsteps. We were like, moving like what? And they were like, we heard, like, dragging and walking around like you guys were packing up. And we were like, no. And we wouldn't have been doing that right at the time anyway. Yeah, yeah. We went back and listened to, like, their audio. There's stuff being dragged around. And then at one point it sounds like a door opens and you hear somebody talking. And you can sync it up with all of our other audio. That's cool. You can see where everybody is in the building, and nobody's talking and moving. That's awesome. Wow. That's actually a Sunday this year, November 17th. The 17th or the 18th? 17th, yeah. The 17th is Sunday. uh, Obviously, the 18th will be a Monday. So that would be something interesting. Yeah, that could be an option. You could make it a long weekend here. Ghostly talk. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> <laughs>